Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Daniel chapter 6 and we're reading verses 1 to 18. Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man, except you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to, the de- or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him.
and he could not sleep. Good morning, everybody, um, and good morning if you're stuck at home with your feet up. Next week we'll be back at the school for morning church, which will be a, a nice change. I was thinking the other day, yet again, of all the people that have started coming to church since March last year, and you've never seen us do church the way we used to do it. Reich's one of them. Oh, well. We'll get there. We'll eventually be able to show you how we really used to do things. Let's pray as we look at this part of the Bible. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at Daniel chapter 6 now, uh, we pray that you would be speaking to our hearts. Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged. We pray too that we would be inspired to keep trusting in you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure um, over the last few weeks you've been watching some of the Olympics. And with the Paralympics to come, I'm sure there'll be the same sort of experience. It's inspirational to watch these athletes performing at the peak of their ability on the world stage. It's so inspirational that... You want to get out there and give it a go, don't you? So you want to have a shot. We tend to look at the Olympians as kind of role models like that and all that they give up to make it to the Olympics. It's the kind of stuff that you want to you know, get into your kids as well. It's the kind of role models that you want to have. And so as we come and look at Daniel chapter 6, is that the way we should be reading this chapter? To see Daniel like an Olympian role model? someone to look up to, someone to aim to be like? Is this a story that should motivate us to have the same kind of tenacity to stick to our guns and hold to what we believe despite what's happening around us, even when we're surrounded by people that are out to get us? Um, maybe people who are trying to trap us. Is that how we should read chapter 6? Maybe. What you have in chapter 6 is an account of how Daniel counted the cost of following God in a hostile world, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did back in chapter 3. And here in chapter 6, Daniel's trust in God is rewarded, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in chapter 3. So should we read this chapter along the same lines um, as examples for us to follow? Chapter 3 and chapter 6 together, they're probably the most well-known parts of this book. The furnace and the lion's den... Amazing kids' stories. Amazing stories for adults. They're the most well-known part of the book. And I think that's how most Christians read them, as these young Jewish men being our role models, people to look up to and aspire to be like. But if you think about your Olympic role models again, just for a second, you might watch the Olympic marathon and be blown away by the fact that they're running around you know, three minutes per kilometre. That's exceptional. That's amazing. And so... You're so inspired and motivated to give it a shot that you go down to the local gym and you jump on a treadmill and you get it to crank itself up to three minutes per kilometre. Just think about the pace, think about those wheels going around, think about that treadmill, think about how it's all going to end. <laughs> when the, uh, I don't know, the, the cleaner, would it be, in the gym, comes over and helps you off the floor, once you've been packed into the back of the ambulance and the paramedics have taken you away... Perhaps that would be the time to contemplate what just happened. Maybe, maybe there's a step or two that you've missed in this process. That kind of enthusiasm to imitate your Olympian hero, it's not going to end well. 
there's a step or two that needs to happen in between the inspiration and the application, isn't there? There's a step or two between that motivational moment and you trying to imitate. And reading Daniel chapter 6 is a bit like that. There's a step or two in the middle that we need to process through before we rush into imitation. The first thing we need to do, looking at this chapter, is, well, first of all, take a step back and think about it in the context of the letter, uh, of the book and of the Old Testament as a whole. And the second thing you need to do is think about this from the New Testament perspective. We're New Testament Christians. Think about the difference Jesus makes between then and now. So when you take a half a step back and look at the bigger picture and look at Daniel chapter 6 as part of this whole book of Daniel, there's much more going on here, like you saw last week. The story is bigger than Belshazzar, and here the story is bigger than Daniel. God's working to a much bigger plan. I mean, we've seen this from the beginning of the book. Back in chapter 1... It's all introduced as this battle between the kings and their gods. So the king of Babylon comes in, conquers um, Israel and takes them away and takes the good stuff from the temple and puts it in the temple to their gods. This is set up for us as a battle between the kings and their gods. And while it looks like God's people have been decimated in chapter 1, we discover, no, God is continuing to work to a plan. He's not done yet. He's not finished yet. And he's in the middle of this little Daniel, part of this much bigger story, this much bigger scene. This is about God, and we learn time and time again, as we've looked through these chapters, that God is the God who sets up kings. God is the God who deposes them, and God is the God who is setting up a kingdom that will last and rule forever. And when you take a step back like that and look across the book as a whole, this is a book about God. What about Daniel? It's about God and him and his plans and you see it in this chapter. So look at where the chapter ends up. If you look down in verse 26 and verse 27, this time it's King Darius who speaks these words which are kind of becoming familiar to us as we've heard them echoed through. So verse 26, For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And on it goes. Daniel chapter 6, it's not just a moralistic story of an example to follow. This is, read in context, a story about God. And then when you look at the details in the chapter, it confirms to you as well that, yes, this is about God. So when Daniel's about to be thrown in this lion's den, the king says in verse 16, the second half of verse 16, the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. May your God rescue you. The king sees this as being all about Daniel's God. You see it again in verse 20, the second half of the verse, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you? from the lions. The king sees that this is about God, not Daniel. And Daniel sees it that way too, if you look in verse 22. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. You notice there, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they are in the furnace, remember that the fourth person arrives? Here, God sends his angel, his messenger, shuts the mouths of the lions. God intervenes. This is about God and what God does. And so verse 26, um, I issue a decree, Darius says, that every part of my kingdom must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. So first thing to do when you look at this part of the Bible is, yeah, think about it in its context. Think about it as part of the Old Testament. This is a story about God and his rule. And then as we read this as Christians, well, what difference does Jesus make to all this? Where does he fit into all this? When you ask the question of what does this passage show us about God, well, it shows us that God's vindicated, that God's victorious, that God saves, 
those who put their trust in him, he will save them. And then as Christians, we put the question in, well, what difference does Jesus make? We know that Jesus is the means by which he does save his people. Jesus became a man. He became one of us, except that he was perfect and sinless. And when you look at what Jesus did, he was treated somewhat like Daniel, wasn't he? But Jesus trusted his father in heaven and he remained faithful in serving God. And because Jesus was sinless, he was vindicated. He was victorious. I don't know if you, you noticed it, but as the reading was being read, they even put a stone in front of the lion's den. To, there's all these little echoes that make you think, what happened to Daniel is this small little shadow of what happens to Jesus. But Jesus is victorious. He's vindicated in ways we could never achieve because he's sinless. And now Jesus is the one who kind of steps into our lion's den, God's messenger, God's angel. Like God stepped into Daniel's lion's den. Jesus is the means by which God intervenes to save us, to help us. He's the one who rescues. So when we read Daniel um, and seek to imitate when we read uh, Daniel chapter 6 and seek to imitate Daniel, you put those middle steps back in. We're not jumping on a treadmill and trying to crank it up to, you know, three-minute kilometres. We're kind of stepping on one of those travelators at the airport and getting taken for a ride. It's quite a different prospect, isn't it? It's God who saves. This is all about God and what he does. And as Christians, we know that he does that through Jesus. And as we read this part of the Old Testament, it helps shape and inform our understanding of the way God saves and how important it is for us to trust in him. So you put those middle steps back in and all of a sudden this starts to make sense for us. We need to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch, yes, but we don't need to follow this example to the dot. We just need to trust God, trust Jesus. He's the one that does all the work. Um, trusting that our humble efforts to, keep, to remain faithful um, will be rewarded by God, who is victorious. So with those preliminaries, let's have a look at this chapter. This chapter, Daniel chapter 6, opens with the story of yet another king. This king is Darius. We've met Nebuchadnezzar. We've met his son or grandson, Belshazzar. Now we're kind of jumping ahead in time to Darius. Who's Darius? Well, apparently there's no record of him outside the Bible. Does that make you stressed? Well, needn't. Maybe he was a bit of a nobody. But I actually think... He wasn't a nobody. I think if you have a look down at verse 28, I'm guessing this is actually Cyrus. So down in verse 28, you read, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And I've got a footnote. I go down to the bottom of the page. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. That is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I think it's quite likely that Darius is Cyrus going by another name. Apparently that's what you do when you become royal. You, you switch your name around. It's been done all through history. Maybe that's who we've got here, but I don't know why I bother telling you all this because it doesn't matter who Darius is, really, in the scheme of things. This is a chapter that shows us a story of competition. So if you look in 6 verses 1 to 3, it tells us that Darius or Cyrus appointed 120 satraps to rule over this vast kingdom of his and three administrators over that, and among those was Daniel. And you look at verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's pretty amazing. But it kind of is what we've seen over the last five chapters. Daniel, he's consistently trusted in God and been obedient to God and been rewarded for it. 
So the Babylonians, they changed his name. They made him serve a foreign king. But Daniel knew where to draw lines. For some reason, he didn't want to eat meat. But he knew where he wanted to draw lines. He was prepared to say no and prepared to suffer the consequences, prepared to be different. And time and time again, he's rewarded. And so now here, years and years later, in the reign of Darius or Cyrus, Daniel hasn't changed. He's remaining faithful to God and he has a reputation for it. While Daniel is being faithful to God, living like he doesn't belong in this world, he continues to succeed in this kingdom. It seems like he kind of fits in as much as possible and adapts as much as possible. And the qualities of being reliable and trustworthy just keep shining through. He adapts as much as possible. Um, maybe that's what's happening down in verse 21, for example. He says, he addresses the king like everyone else does. Oh, king, live forever. I mean, that's hardly going to happen. But he does what everyone does. Only he draws the line, he's not going to pray to this king. He's not going to go that far. So verse 3, Daniel is a success story, enviably so. Um, he may well simply be just one of those exiles that came out of Judah, but he's made something of it. And he has his opposition, and that's the next thing you see in this, this chapter. This is a story of competition. So in verse 4, this the administrators of satraps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So they're trying to line him up. They're trying to pull him down, knock him down. But if you can't be corrupted, you can't be caught out. In their frustration, um, they turned to a conspiracy. So verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they've worked out how they'll trap him. These are shady characters. They're resorting to dishonesty. You'll see that in verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, make King Darius live forever. I don't think they mean that. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed. Well, they haven't all agreed. Daniel's not among them. Um, they've all agreed uh, the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den. They figure 30 days will do it. That's long enough. Daniel won't be able to bite his tongue and not pray to his god for that long. And to make sure that the king is trapped into trapping Daniel, they want the king's command to be irreversible. And so you see that happen in verses 8 and 9 and the trap is set. Um, unlike our attempts to trap rats, this one is successful. Daniel chapter 6, it tells a story of competition, of conspiracy, and this command that cannot be revoked. And then it's also a story of the cost of uncompromising trust in God. So Daniel learns of this command in verse 10, but then openly disobeys it. I don't think there would have been any real harm in Daniel kind of for 30 days just taking it easy, lying low and not praying publicly to God. Surely there's nothing wrong with that. There's no rules against that. Except perhaps that by doing that, he would have then been manipulated by these men, just like the king's been. I'm not aware of anything in the Old Testament that would compel Daniel to pray three times a day, nor am I aware of anywhere in the Old Testament that says he needs to pray facing Jerusalem with the doors open in an upstairs room where everyone can see him. But that's what he does, seemingly because that's what he's always done. He doesn't change. In other words, Daniel didn't obey the king's command and he didn't hide his disobedience. It's like he's, he's saying to these people who are openly dishonest, saying to these people, I'll have you, take me on. And he does. The trap is sprung. 
Um, the competition goes to the king in verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, kind of you know, one of those scumbags that came in from Judah, he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. So they refer to Daniel with contempt. They show their contempt also for the king and the one who the king has grown to trust, Daniel. In verse 14, they've trapped Daniel. They've also trapped the king. He's trying to find some way to save his friend, but he can't, verse 15. There's no way out. And so in verse 16, the king gives the order that Daniel should be thrown to the lions. And as he does so, he says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Daniel clearly can't save himself. The king has been trapped. He can't save his friend. It's all up to Daniel's God. Just take a minute to think about what's going through Darius's head at this point. If Daniel's God is powerful enough, well, maybe he will save this man. If Daniel hasn't done anything wrong, well, maybe he'll be preserved. Perhaps. So Daniel chapter 6 is a story of competition, conspiracy, a command. It tells us the story of the cost of uncompromising trust in God. And then finally, chapter 6 tells us a story of complete vindication. So when you look at verses 19 to 20 and think about the king's behaviour, it's understandable in a way, but it's also very strange. It's understandable that the king might want to see what's happened to his friend Daniel. It's also very strange that he thinks Daniel would have survived. So verse 19, as the first, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And out of this lion's den, you hear the voice of Daniel, the king's friend, along with Daniel declaring his innocence. That's now proven. He's now vindicated. In reality, you think about it, Daniel didn't do anything wrong. Both he and the king had been trapped but now, by the power of God, by the intervention of God, by God's messenger, his angel being there, Daniel's been spared, and so he's been vindicated. In verse 22, my God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And Daniel, uh, the king has Daniel lifted from the lion's den. You don't really want to read what happens to the false accusers. It's horrible. It's not that the lions weren't hungry, put it that way. And then the king declares that it's God's, Daniel's God who's vindicated and who's victorious. You see, the interest here is in Daniel's God. He's the one who's done this. So verse 26, I issue a decree that in every part of the, my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end he rescues, he saves, he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. I'm not convinced that Darius you know, is fully converted follower of God at this point. I think it's probably more like Nebuchadnezzar back in chapters 2 and 3. But he certainly acknowledges that God has been victorious. In this instance, God has been vindicated. And in his eyes, God is the one who saved Daniel. Um, and Daniel's constant service to his God has been rewarded. And that's Daniel chapter 6. As we read this chapter as Christians, our first question needs to be, well, what do we learn about God? 
And we've seen it along the way, haven't we? we we've learned that God will always be victorious. God will always be vindicated. And God will intervene to save those who put their trust in him. You roll all that together and God is someone we can trust. We should trust. We should obey. Trusting God will be rewarded because God will always be vindicated and victorious. The hero in this chapter is God. Um, this is about God and God's justice. God will be faithful to those who put their trust in him. And our God saves so our first question when we're reading this chapter is, what does it teach us about God? The second question is, what difference does Jesus make? And there is a similarity here with what happened to Jesus, as I pointed out. Jesus is falsely accused. He's unjustly sentenced to death. Jesus continued to obediently trust in his Father in heaven and did his Father's will, not his. And Jesus was also vindicated. Jesus' resurrection, it's like the fact that he rose from the dead proves that he was innocent. In fact, perhaps this chapter of Daniel kind of gives us a perspective on understanding Jesus' resurrection in particular. The vindication, the victory that comes through Jesus' resurrection. Maybe this is what sits behind what Peter says in, Daniel, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 2. The apostle Peter says, This man was handed over to you by God's uh, deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross and then verse 24 of chapter 2 of Acts but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him Jesus was vindicated he's innocent death couldn't hold him um, Daniel's experience in the lion's den is kind of like this faint shadow of what we see in Jesus experience on the cross Daniel was vindicated because he was innocent. Jesus is vindicated because he's innocent. But of course, what's happened to Jesus is far more complex. There's a lot more going on with Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, he died our death. He's won our victory. Jesus' death and resurrection means that God has established a way to save his people, to be able to intervene in our lion's den, whatever situation we might find ourselves in. We can have that kind of confidence that if we remain faithful to God, he will reward our trust in him. But our salvation, yeah, it's not from lions and a furnace. Our ultimate salvation, our ultimate vindication comes on the day of judgment. Um, we've already had this inkling in Daniel that Daniel and his friends understood this too, that they may not have been spared the furnace. They may not have been spared the lions. For example, if you look back in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in chapter 3, verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, God, will, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. You see how their hope isn't in immediate salvation now. It's in being vindicated in the long term, perhaps on the day of judgment. As we look to Daniel and his friends as our kind of Olympic role models, um, we do well to enthusiastically imitate them in the way they trust God because we know that God will be victorious. He will be vindicated. And so our trust in God will be rewarded. But at the same time, we know that our trust in God, um, all it takes is us, our little steps at being obedient and the 
travelator does the rest. Jesus' death and resurrection in our place. We set our eyes on Jesus and we humbly trust and follow him. And we know that as we do that, we may not be spared the lions. We may not be spared the furnace. And I suppose when you've been watching the news this week, if you think about Christians in Afghanistan and what they've got ahead of them, it's horrible to think about. But we should be praying for them that they would keep trusting in Jesus and remain faithful no matter what the immediate consequences are because they know where it's going to end. They know that God will be vindicated and their trust in him will be vindicated. It's the same kind of way that um, Paul sees things in Philippians 1, whether we looked at that beginning of this year or last year, I can't remember, but in Philippians 1, verse 21, it says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. There's the Apostle Paul. So fixed on living for Jesus. Live or die, doesn't matter. That's what our attitude should be. So back to chapter 6 of Daniel. Yeah, we should see Daniel as a role model as we seek to faithfully serve our God, our victorious God who vindicates, our victorious God who saves. And as New Testament Christians, we even understand the way God will save. It's through Jesus and his death in our place. If we seek to imitate Daniel's trust in God, if we continue to live as servants of God, even in a hostile world, we'll be living like aliens and strangers, like Peter talks about in, in 1 Peter. Because there'll be so many points where we make decisions which make us awkwardly different to those around us. As we live as Christians, we'll be opening ourselves up for being persecuted, mocked and shamed. But we've got nothing to fear because we trust in a God who's victorious. How about I pray that we would keep faithfully serving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel. Thank you that he is an example for us to follow of someone who keeps trusting in you on good days and on bad days. But Father, we thank you even more for Jesus' obedience, his obedience to death on the cross. And we thank you too for his resurrection that has vindicated him, declared him to be victorious over sin and death. Lord, please help us to keep faithfully serving you like Daniel, knowing that you can save us because of Jesus' death in our place. And Father, this morning, we do think of fellow Christians in Afghanistan, and we pray for them. Now of all times, um, we pray that you give them the strength to just keep their eyes on Jesus and keep living for him. And may their faith, faith motivate our faith too, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.